are back with another episode of Chinese Chippy Girl. I am your host, Georgia Mar, and I am, well, Chinese Chippy Girl. On this episode, I have a Filipino-British filmmaker and photographer who I've been following for quite some time. To be completely honest with you, I'm a huge, huge fan of his work. <laughs> he creates the coolest videos, reels, YouTubes for various EC, East and Southeast Asian organisations. I love how passionate he is in sharing East and Southeast Asian stories and on-screen representation. Everyone, it's Ray Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm clapping like there's an audience. It's just me and you on a Zoom call. <laughs> that was such an incredible intro. Do you mind if I like use that snippet and like, <laughs> like I, I want to like have it printed on cassette tape and attach it to my CVs. That was incredible. On a cassette tape. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's yeah, really just, old just so I can attach it to like a, a resume and hand it to potential employers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember I have been following you for quite some time because well, I I haven't followed you. I followed the work that you have done for quite a few um, EC individuals. So I know that you've done stuff with Jollibee. I know that you've done stuff with BC. I know that you've filmed for, oh my gosh, what's her name? Becky. Um, Kappa. Yes, that's it. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. I'm so sorry that I've totally butchered your name there, Becky. But yes. <laughs> and I think I've just been a fan of their creations of their content but you are you are the man behind the mastermind, the mastermind <laughs> behind and you know, i can see your bird right behind you yeah there's yeah there, there she is that's carrying me yeah <laughs> when we say a bird we mean an actual we mean an actual bird like a flying bird yeah, she's not she's not gone crazy folks there's an actual <laughs> bird in my in my room right now I feel like because it's podcasts, you just have to like, you have to explain things because other people can't see it. This is what, this is, this is what I do have to do all the time. Self-explanatory. But I think the work that you've done is just incredible. I love how you bring um, EC stories to life. And I've been wanting to have you on the show for a year now, Ray, because you told, okay, well, this is getting serious now. You told a really, lovely heartfelt story at the BC event in September 2021 so last year I mm. think I was I was on a panel and I was talking about British Chinese food and you were on another panel as well and you were talking about your upbringing of being a Filipino British person I just just want to give you the mic and I just want people to hear your story because I just think your story was so warm and so touching and plus I'm a big fan of you as well do you want to talk about your upbringing this is getting really personal sure sure (laughs) (laughs) I've done a great job of introducing myself so yeah my upbringing so I think it's quite important to note that first of all that I grew up in a very different land than London but still in very much in the UK I grew up in a small town called Salisbury a lot of people know of it for having the sixth largest spire in Europe, I think it is, as well as Stonehenge. And it was also home to where the Russian spy poisonings were a few years back. But other than that, it was my home for the first 17 years of my life before I moved out. And and there, like, it's a very, like, small British town mindset. There aren't many non-white families in that town. And going to school, I was one of, 
I think out of like a hundred students, there was like, there was like three non-white kids. Well, technically two and a half because I am half white. But what I mean, like I was just surrounded by other white kids and I just felt like an odd one out. And yeah, I was very much raised by my mum. Not to say my father wasn't there or a good father. He was always, he was just working. Like, mm. And my mother recently moved to the UK shortly before she had me. And, and um, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't in tight, like she, she didn't like face like aggressive racism when she moved here, but she very much just was kind of on her own for the most part. Mm-hmm. She didn't have many friends. She didn't know too much about how to raise a child up in mm-hmm. the UK. So she raised me very Asian. Like I had to mm-hmm. learn a lot about just British normalities and customs when I started school. And yeah, I I, I think I mixed with all those things growing up in a small town, but mm-hmm. like that's surrounded by nothing but fields. It's just like farm for, for miles. Like people who are born there, they normally get a job and die there that's mm-hmm. their that's their whole life um to generalize a little bit but uh, growing up in that environment you, you're, you're gonna get racism mm-hmm. uh like kids kids were the worst growing up i also had no idea like what they were doing was wrong like all, all i knew was they would make fun of the the food i'd have in my packed lunches like oh is that rice you got rice in your lunchbox is that what is that leftover chicken and fish? They make jokes about that, and I didn't see it. I didn't see them making fun of my culture because I, I had no concept of culture as a four-year-old. I just saw, oh man, I am different. I do deserve this. And then when my mum would pick me up from school and they would see her, they they'd like stretch their their eyelids and like make mm. make jokes at her. They'd call her because in 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 this kind of environment. These kind of like British kids, they, they can't distinguish Asians at all. They call her Chinese. They, and that made me, that, that made me at the time develop a really negative viewpoint on Chinese people because when they make fun of me, they call, they call me and my mum Chinese and we're not. So it must be bad to be Chinese. So <laughs> like it, it created this like weird complex in my head. By the time we got the secondary school, that's when it started to get like, like a lot more serious because i i went to a i went to an all-boys school and it was it was pretty rough to be honest with you like there were fights every day it was really common is this um, still in salisbury still in salisbury yeah, yeah like yeah. like it, 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 it was like a tough time I, i'm sure anyone who's been to an all-boys school in the uk would have had similar experiences but being like one of the few non-white kids it, it was crazy like my mum would wouldn't pick me up from outside the school she would like ask me to go down the street because the kids they would wait for her they would wait for her to pick me up really? just so they could yeah it was crazy oh my god they would goodness. wait for her they'd yell stuff at her they'd throw what one time this kid threw rice at her car and they would just do like racist asian accents at her and even at the time like at the time i was maybe 14 so around yeah around 14 13 at the time and i again i even at that point in my life, I didn't have a concept of, of racism. I just saw this as like, oh man, I'm different. We deserve this. This is so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And it, throughout my whole life, growing up with, with like all these negative things thrown at me, not just from kids, from teachers as well. I used to have a PE teacher who, like, as we did like laps around the sports hall, he'd like call everyone nicknames. Like he'd go like, come on, Ginge to the ginger kid. Mm-hmm. But to me, he would say like, come on, Hong Kong which didn't make any sense. 
Uh, oh gosh. <laughs> so I'm not from Hong Kong, but also it's, I don't know, it's just weird to call someone a city. Yeah. But yeah, like, I don't know. That was just the, that was what was just normalized to me. And from like a young age, because of all this negative connotations thrown at me by kids and, and adults, I was just very much, I was ashamed of, of being Filipino, of being Asian. And, and now I very much, like, I feel, I feel like very, not, I don't know. Like for, for a while, I felt kind of mad at my mum because she would put up with me coming home and like, I would be the one to tell her, I don't, I don't want rice in my lunchbox anymore. I want sandwiches. Hmm. Or I tell, I, I would also tell her to not talk to me in my first language, which is Sabuano or Bisaya. That was like a big thing. But also she had teachers from my school. They would, they would tell her that because by the time I started school, my, my English wasn't, wasn't amazing. I had a bit of an accent and they warned her that not focusing on English around the house might detriment my ability to get work in the future. You know, I'm four years old at this point, like, mm. <laughs> but they, they, they warned her about this. And that combined with me telling my mum that I, I'd rather speak English around the house made her just like cut, cut it off cold turkey. And now I'm 27 and I, I, I can't, I can't speak my first language anymore. Mm. And it's, it's pretty sad. And for the longest time I was, when I got older and I realized a lot of this stuff was, was racist and not great. I still had this kind of like resentment for my mother for not trying harder, for not pushing elements of, of my culture, like the language more at home. And I kind of blamed her for how I forgot this. I, I forgot a whole language, mm. but looking back on it, I now know like everything she did was like her assimilate into British culture and, and all the sacrifices that she made were all just to give me a better, better shot at life here in the UK. Mm -hmm. Like she, like when she first moved here and had me, she didn't know how to raise a child here. She didn't know much about British culture. She didn't know how to cook a lot of British foods, but by the time she had my sister, she, <laughs> she had a bit more experience. So she skipped entirely speaking any Filipino to my sister right, uh, okay. growing up. So, um, so I, I see, a, sorry, I assume your sister, she's younger. So you're yeah, the eldest, yeah. you're the eldest, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was born in 94. She had her in 99 and in those four years, sorry, six years. Yeah. She, she learned how to just assimilate a little mm -hmm. bit better. But I think still as, as a family walking down the street in Salisbury, we like, if it was my white father, Asian mother, and their two mixed race offsprings, we would get stairs in, in Salisbury. I don't think you'd get as much in a, in a diverse place mm. like London. But yeah, it, it just became very normalized. That's such a, uh, a mixture of warmth, angry, sad, emotional story that you just shared. And, and I'll be honest with you. I think whether, if you're mixed, if you're not mixed, I think whether you have a parent who's immigrated to the UK, I think your story is just really, really relatable. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's, it's really sad that when you went to school, you also received the microaggressions from the teachers as well. Like what you were saying with your PE teacher and 
I remember when I was at school, I was at a primary school and Similar, similar to you, I was brought up speaking Cantonese. Both my mother and father, they're both uh, from from China and, and Hong Kong. And we spoke Cantonese in the house. And that was my first first language. And I couldn't speak English until I was probably about five years old. I mm. remember starting nursery school when I must have been about three or four. This is very, very hazy memory. But I had no friends because I didn't know how to communicate with them. And I remember when I went into primary school and then my brother, my little brother is two years younger than me. So by the time he had joined school, so I'm just chuckling that raised cat and bird that's just hanging around him. I remember (laughs) when I was at school, I'd already started speaking English at this point. Must have been about... I don't know, seven, six or something. And my brother has just joined my school and he couldn't speak a word of English and all he could speak was Cantonese. And my parents, my parents' English wasn't that great neither. I remember my brother, Andy, his teachers were saying to me to tell my parents to teach him how to speak English because the teachers can't speak Cantonese. He has to learn how to speak English because nobody can understand him. And I'm like this six-year-old, seven-year-old or whatever. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll just tell my mum and dad. And then I told my mum and dad that he has to start speaking English. And they went, they were just livid because they were like, how can, how can we teach our son to speak English when we can barely speak English ourselves? And... Mm. And they knew that at some point when we, when we grow up, we're going to start speaking English anyway. And our Cantonese is just going to die down. So just what you're saying, I, I've, I really, I really resonate with that. And my parents, they really forced me to speak Cantonese at home. And, and honestly, Ray, I effing hated it, hated it with a passion, did not want to speak Cantonese. You know what? I don't even want to be Chinese. I just wanted to be a white person. I wanted to have a nice bridge nose. I wanted to have blonde hair. I wanted to be tall. I wanted, I didn't want the hood above my eyes. There's just so many things that I just did not want to be this Chinese person because like you growing up in Salisbury I grew up in Macclesfield and it was just the whitest whitest community and just what you were saying when you walked in town and your your father's white your mum is Filipino and you got stairs we got those stairs as well for being Chinese and I think it just didn't matter I don't know, this isn't going to be the the nice word, but I'm just going to say it. I felt like an alien in my Mm -hmm. hometown and that's how I felt. So when you just told that story, like so much memories comes up because I was like, okay, I I get it. I I, I totally understand. And and I feel, I I feel, I felt every word that you said as well. If it's not getting too personal, I'm just curious to know how your dad, as a white person, may have 
reacted to this or responded to this? Could he, did he say anything or, or mm. did he not say anything? Would you mind sharing? So this is actually something that I've, I've thought about quite a lot later in my life because I, I unfortunately lost my father to cancer when I was 16. Oh, sorry but to hear that. It's all right. But like we, we rarely ever spoke about race or culture or, or just he raised me alongside my mother. He wasn't around as much because of work, but he was my dad. But we, he never really drew attention to the fact that I have this mixed background. He did a very good job at always telling me. I remember having this conversation with him about just, he was pushing the idea to me to just respect anyone, no matter what background they're from. And he would like talk about like the kind of poverty that we saw in the Philippines and how he can have, you can have intelligent, meaningful conversations with people out there, just like anyone that you would meet here. Um, I remember him trying to tell me like when, <laughs> when like MSM and MySpace were becoming a thing, like a more like standard thing for most people that be on, he was telling me at the age of like, I don't know, 12, that I should become pen pals with my like cousins out there. And he was really like, because <laughs> well, it's in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was like telling me about like, you know, it's so easy now. You can just go on the computer and, and boot up AOL and, and get a chat room going with, with your cousins. <laughs> I remember him doing that. But aside from that, we, we never really did talk about it too much. Even when like he, he would be called in quite a lot, uh, whenever I got into like fights or issues with, with bullies at school, especially during secondary school. Yeah, I don't recall having any conversations about what the kids were saying was not okay, was not right. But at the same time, I never would bring up how it made me feel. At the time, I never acknowledged that I found what they're saying about how I look or or how my mum looks or, or my heritage. Uh, I never at the time acknowledged that it was degrading or was a, a, an issue. So by the time I was 14, it just felt like, it felt like something that was just normalized and to be expected i look different i'm asian so i should obviously that's what they're going to bully me about it, it was just a normalized thing but then at, at the same time it was something the teachers never acknowledged like if if i i know i don't seem like the type now but i i was involved with like a lot of fights like it, it was almost on a weekly basis did you <laughs> why do you say <laughs> it with a smile why are you laughing did you, i'm just I, so I can, surprised I fight <laughs> well, I can, I, yeah, I got in loads of tussles. You Did, know. You? Yeah, Did you? Yeah, I've broken but... plenty of noises. Noses. Wow, right. <laughs> but, um, Did you? But yeah. Did, Did you get into the fights because because of of the racism that you were standing up to? You you were sticking up no, for yourself. Mo- it, it was mostly for fun. No, I'm joking. It was <laughs> no, yeah. It was like I I had a a big mouth and a short temper. Okay. <laughs> growing up, so if anyone said anything to me. I would come back and throw just as much abuse, but I never, I would never, I would never start. I would never start. And even in, in fights, I remember my dad was like a proper, proper British dad. And I remember one of the things he, he told me was like, he was like, son, in a fight, you never throw the first punch, but you end it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was also like, a, I was like a small, I was a small kid. Like, so like, Rarely would I be able to end it. 
but I would always try. But anyway, like uh, I, whenever my dad would get called called up by the teachers and say, like, and they would say, like, yeah, Ray's been misbehaving today. He's gotten in a fight. Blah blah blah. blah. They would never acknowledge that it was like a racially motivated. Even if if they knew, even if I I said like they they they'd ask me like. Why did the, how did this start? I'd be like, oh, it's because he said this about my mum. He's made fun of how I look. Yeah, it was just something they teachers at the time didn't really pay much knowledge acknowledgement to. So I don't really blame my dad too much for that. But I, I also I don't think he was aware of how much it was affecting just how I viewed my mm. racial identity. I, I really don't think he was aware at the time. But yeah, I really admire. That right, okay. I'm just gonna put it out there. I don't I don't condone violence or anything. However, I do really admire and respect you that you 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 physically stuck up to yourself, you fought your corner because I think when I was growing up and quite a few of the East and Southeast Asians who I've met who, who were born born in the UK and whose parents are both immigrants some of us we've been brought up to like not say anything keep your head down and you know what Ray I, I wish that if I could turn back time I wish I had the confidence to to argue back to, to stand my ground stand on my own two feet fight my corner because it's just something that I it's just something that I didn't have which is it's just something that I just wasn't brought up with so you saying that you got into fights you stuck up to yourself I'm just like do you know what bravo to you and just <laughs> the words of wisdom that your dad said to you don't what's it don't punch first <laughs> don't throw the first punch but you end it with with your punch I think well I think that's just I think I think that is just a legend absolutely I don't know if that's something that I would pass on to my kids like if, if I could go back and and talk to my past self I'd be like kid it's not worth it. Just get out of there. Just say nothing back. They'll still <laughs> get bored eventually. But I, I always had to like say something else. Like if someone, if someone said something to me, racist or not, if someone was bullying me, I would yell back something equally, if not worse to them. I had the shortest temper growing up. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't congratulate myself too much on that, <laughs> but I still do very much stand for sticking up for yourself. And acknowledging that when, when something is is wrong, but if I could have been a bit more eloquent with my words back then and told people why things were wrong instead of shouting your mum back at them mm. and then getting in a fist fight, I think that would have been a better <laughs> a better course of action and a, a lot less trips to the medical room. It sounds like when you were growing up, you had basically lost touch with some of your Filipino heritage. But now, especially since I've discovered you a couple of years ago, you give really good a representation, not just to Filipinos, but also to the East and Southeast Asian network as well, particularly in the UK. When was that light bulb moment when you thought, okay, I want to learn more about my Filipino background, my Filipino heritage? Hmm. That's a very good question. I'm not too sure if there was one moment to give you a bit more of 
background about me i've been doing youtube for a long time like since i was around 12 i started and then when i was about 15 i'd start coming up to london to go to youtube gatherings where like just it's just a bunch of nerds with cameras in a field and we'd meet up (laughs) and just network there was a lot of like people would play ukuleles and vlog together it was very nerdy um but these events like so becoming more and more frequent a lot of us were like 18 and we were going to events hosted by google there's there's less of these now but like the youtube community in the uk around 2015 2016 was like nuts it was like the biggest party in the world or at least that's what it felt like and every like big you youtube like youtube personality in the uk would be there and i was just like 17 18 18 year old kid but yeah like being amongst all of that there were very few asian people because even though youtube was a was a social media platform that anyone could contribute to and produce content for in the uk it was only the british ones that would do well for the most part there were there were a couple like i remember bub's beauty i remember she was quite popular i don't know if you've ever heard of her no but, um, no i think aside from her there weren't there weren't many other Asians, but the few times I would meet another Asian person at one of these parties, we would like at some point during the night, we'd be like drawn to each other. And then we'd, we'd ask the question, where are you, where are you from? And you blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, I slowly became a part of like a little Asian click. <laughs> and we'd always like hang out in Chinatown and for, for a change, I'd, I'd start like, feeling a little bit more proud and excited just about my my Asian roots. But I I think it wasn't really until university. I went to film school. I went to UCA in in Surrey. And there was was a large amount of international students there. I remember like early on, like during Freshers Week, all the Asian international students would like naturally be drawn to each other and hang out and ask each other questions how are oh, how are you finding the uk how do you get a sim card here they'd be like asking all these questions and they would ask me those questions as well and i would help them out yeah meeting all of these people like these these new immigrants who watching how fresh their emotions were to missing home and missing asia in particularly the food and just talking to them about what they miss i don't know it made me really miss living at home with my mum and some of the stuff that i i didn't just take for granted but like i said i, I would push away i when i was at home i would push away from her i'd tell her i don't want chicken adobo today i don't want rice i don't want noodles i just mm. want pizza i do remember just sitting there in my dorm room at university it made me develop a lot more of a closer relationship with my mum, um, having these thoughts. I, I used to like, when I was living at home with her, we had a very passive relationship. We would just talk. We would never have conversations. We just, it'd be like, hi mom. Yeah. I'm going to school now. Bye. It was just that at home, but being away from home, I would miss my mum a lot. I'd miss having home cooked meals i'd miss having filipino food at home i'd missed rice just being cooked for me we used to call a lot we still do we still call most days yeah but yeah i guess that happened while i was at at university and i i also think just because there were so many other people from different asian countries i was i was just surrounded by different foods like everyone would like cook food from from their from their home countries and i just got to like 
try like so much great food while at uni but i don't think it was until until the pandemic and the rise in asian hate crimes and you know and in response to the rise of of networks like be seen and and bam and beyond that did i start to meet a lot of other like-minded creative asian people but not not, not just like-minded asians but asians who were producing content to celebrate their heritage and to mm-hmm. champion others and to see that and then compare it to these youtube parties that i used to go to which were predominantly white even at these parties i i, I would still be I, I would still get joked like people would joke to me quite a lot like because i was never i was never huge on youtube i was never famous i never saw it as like this is my career i never wanted to be famous so people would always joke to me because i had a smaller following that the only reason i would be invited was because i'm the only asian person within those circles it was really blatantly true i remember this one time i was invited to like a I guess it was like an influencer <laughs> shoot, but this is before we used the term influencer. So it was just a YouTuber thing. And like everyone there had like 1 million subscribers, 10,000 subscribers at the very least. No, or I think even like, I think the above me, it was like a hundred thousand subscribers. And then it was, then it was me with like a measly 4,000 subscribers, but I was the only one who wasn't fully white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I was like the token invite to a lot of these things. So to go from that to seeing like all these incredible networks and other kind con- like, like Becky is such an incredible influence on me. Shu as well, seeing her career and everything and the countless people that I've, I've met in the last few years through social media, I really think has made me just want to celebrate my mm-hmm. heritage more and, and, and not just filipino heritage but just asian heritage as, as a whole and i think i can't even remember what your original question was i think i've sidetracked quite a uh, bit no no it's nice <laughs> i was just asking what made you what made you want to do more and represent more and work with the ec community like what was your yeah like, bold moment and what just everything that you're saying it's, it's quite similar to my experience as well before the pandemic I didn't really have that many Asian friends. A lot of my friends are white. I never really spoke to my friends about my upbringing. It just never came to question. Part of me was maybe embarrassed by it as well. That was brought up above a chip shop. And then the pandemic happened. There was a surge in on on Asian hate across across the world. But also in the UK, I felt that's when I needed that support. That's when I was really broken and I had to find that support. And I wanted to connect with my Chinese heritage. I wanted to embrace it. And I think that's basically when I started my podcast. And that's when I met people like Yellow Bee Pod, Natalie. I started to listen to Bam and Beyond, who I absolutely love. I see them as like, my little like brothers and sisters. I just think they're so cute. I, I'm just such a big fan of them. I listen to all their shows. And then we, and then I met them for the first time at uh, Similu, at, at Similu when he did that oh, talk. his book launch event. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he hit Similu book launch. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I think you guys are amazing. And, <laughs> and also BC and then EC sisters and Anna Chan from Asian Leadership Collective. So I think now there's just been a lot more support. And I think we've, we've created this online community but now meeting up in person and I just think it's so wholesome and it Mm. just feels like when I've spoken to a few people they their story is just really similar to ours they've had a 
a tough upbringing, a, a bit of a roller coaster. It's not smooth sailing. There's racism at school. And then it wasn't till the pandemic that we kind of found each other and 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 here we are basically. Mm-hmm. Um I wanted to ask as well, have you been back to the Philippines? Did you used to go there when you were a kid with your mum? Yeah, I was very lucky as a kid. I used to travel there quite a lot. It was it was like almost every year. We we really? go back. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't know where we got our money for it. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we 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 used to go back to Cebu all the time whenever school summer break would start. So as soon as August would hit, we'd jump on a cafe Pacific flight to to the Philippines and I'd spend two two three months there. Is it is it two months the summer holidays? Yeah, here? it's about two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Like pretty much like the day after school ended, we we'd be in the Philippines, and then I'd fly back for the first of September. Yeah, and we did that so many times as a kid, and yeah, I really took it for granted mm. as as a kid, thinking that like at some points I'd just be bored. I'd be on like my family live in what we call like the province area. It's like a small village town and. A really humble house. No, I, I wouldn't say poverty, but I've had white friends throughout the years <laughs> see my my auntie's house and be like, "Oh man, that's like a shack," but it's it's, <laughs> it's really not. Like she has electricity, she has Wi Fi now, but yeah, it, it's it's quite a humble house. And I would see poverty while I was there, and like from a young age, like I I would see things that like a lot of Western kids would never see. Not just in terms of poverty, but like. I, I'd see chickens being slaughtered in front of me. I I was like, from a young age, I was very aware of the food, like the meat, Mm. like where it came from. And one of the biggest things that makes me cringe is when people, when, when people don't like eating meat, which reminds them of the animal it came from, like people who don't like eat, eating chicken off the bone, people who don't like eating fish with the head still on Mm. because of my experience in the Philippines, I, I really think if you can't look at your chicken nugget and acknowledge that used to be a clucking chicken, I don't think you should be allowed. I think it should be illegal <laughs> for, you to, for you to eat that chicken nugget because yeah. an animal died to be a chicken nugget for you to consume. But yeah, we, we used to go back and I would just spend two months out of school, mm-hmm. mostly on the beach around surrounded by animals, being woken up by roosters. <laughs> And I'd spend most of it on my Game Boy, to be honest with you. Yeah. Did you, okay, did you ever feel the racism on the other end because you were this yeah. British person in the Philippines? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I feel like I have quite an ambiguous look, I think. I get a lot of different reactions from people. I, I guess it can depend on a lot of things, but like, like Asians here, for example, when I tell them I'm Filipino, I, I sometimes, sometimes people approach me and ask me if I'm Asian or they'd ask me if I'm Filipino specifically. Other times I'll tell people I'm Filipino after they've asked and they will respond by going, huh? You don't look <laughs> Filipino or you don't look, I don't see it at all. I find I get that the most with Filipinos who were born here and feel like they have, they have to state their ground that they are they are Filipino and they see me also identifying as Filipino and they don't like it. But yeah, well, when I'm in the Philippines, I don't get that kind of like negative denial as much, but I do certainly get like from 
I, I think it's I think it's more of an old fashioned mindset, but like aunties will like tell me that I'm not Filipino, that I'm mm. British. I think it's just like a more of a cultural way mm. of seeing heritage and upbringing. Or I, I think the biggest thing is like I'd get compliments on stuff that were out of my control. Like they'd compliment my nose not being fat and small. They they would compliment my skin color because I'm a lot lighter than most full blooded Filipinos. And even as a kid, I'd find that weird because it was like thanks. I didn't choose to have it. And when I got a bit older, it would feel weird, like knowing that they glamorize the skin color of the past oppressors that they had. And just acknowledging that it, yeah, it, it's still like, I still get it these days. Like I, I just came back from Manila last month and yeah, I had a few compliments on my skin tone from young people as well. And it was just, this is strange. It's just strange to experience. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't say as much like negative, not so much racism, but just more occasionally I'll be denied of, mm-hmm. of my heritage. Like sometimes I get Filipinos commenting on my content about Filipino heritage or Filipino culture and they'd be like, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that you, you do this stuff when you're not Filipino. And I'd reply with like, well, I am like by blood. And the Philippines is one of the most mixed countries in the world. Like it's an archipelago made up of thousands of islands. It's been colonized by Spain, America, Japan. Like you do a DNA test of of anyone in the Philippines and they're going to have something else in them. And there's even genetically speaking, there's there's different race groups within the Philippines that are all native to mm. the Philippines. So I, I just find it weird how within Filipino culture and I guess Asian culture as a whole, there's this obsession of labeling people and that there is, I, I think overall in Asian culture, there is a bit of a fascination of mixed race children. They talk about the aesthetics mm-hmm. of those children to their face sometimes. And hearing that it is, is very, it, it is very surreal. And I don't think, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it is, it's just a strange thing. It's, I think it's strange because even like sometimes, particularly when I was younger, I always felt I wasn't British enough when I was in the UK because I'm Chinese. But then I'd go to Hong Kong and I'd feel I'm not Chinese. I'm not Chinese enough for them. So I would have this massive, massive cultural identity crisis because I'm like, well, who am I then? I'm not Chinese enough. I'm not British enough. and I don't know. I, I think it really affected me. It really, really, really affected me. And I only think it's only, what, a few years that I've just accepted that I'm a British-born Chinese. Parents are both Chinese. I was raised in the UK. I speak extremely broken Cantonese. And and yeah, and that's fine. And there's just and and there's a lot of people like you, Ray, like me. And and I think that's just the way it is. Like, it's just, I found it really hard to, to, to accept myself with who I am. So I feel like we have, <laughs> we've gone really, really deep and personal. But I really wanted to hear, I really wanted to hear your personal story. So I'm going to change the topic a little bit. I'm going to uplift it a little bit more now. So you've created some amazing films, footage, YouTubes. I want to ask you, what's been your proudest work that you've done? 
because because you've done a lot oh, i was gosh. on your website you i was on your website <laughs> you've, you've done quite a lot and i know yeah, that well, I, I know that not all the, maybe not all your work is on your website but i know you've done a lot so well, what's been <laughs> what's been your proudest moment gosh mm, proudest moment i think it would have to be i did this little short film it's kind of like it's kind of like a spoken word piece in some ways about a lot of the things that we've just talked about it's called being half asian it's on youtube yes i've seen that quite a few times i love it oh really yeah yeah, yeah thank yeah. you yeah i i actually made it towards the end of 2019 i spent a while writing it and it's just kind of like like a mind dump of just a lot of anxieties I had growing up about the racism that I experienced, the identity crisis that I, I had, just not feeling British enough, but at the same time, not feeling Asian enough or Filipino enough. And yeah, just a lot of those thoughts I would have. And I put it all into a video and then I just, I just sat on it for ages. Like I had it recorded and I just didn't want to post it. It was really difficult to post because I felt like this is a narrative that I don't see talked about much at all in media. I've seen a lot of stories of black people in the UK talking about their experiences with racism. I've not seen many Asians talk about their experiences with racism or especially mixed race Asians talk about their experiences of, of heritage identity or, or biracial identity I, just because i've not seen it it made me feel like these anxieties that i've had about it and trauma i'd say just was not maybe not validated enough for me to post it online like i i i, I just felt like i would be absolutely attacked by hate <laughs> if i was to put it out there so i i literally sat on it um towards at the end of 2019 for months then the pandemic happened and the rise in Asian hate crimes became a huge topic of discussion. And I just felt this video became more and more relevant. Even though I don't address the hate crimes or the rise in hate crimes or, or the, the pandemic, I felt like this is a very good time to post it now. Mm. So, so I put it, I put it out there and um, it, it was funny because I actually wrote this, the entire script as a way to educate, I pictured myself telling my white friends, this is how it is. This is what it was like growing up. This is how I feel when you make jokes about me eating rice or, mm. but like, even from my white friends who saw this video and, and I don't want to sound too dramatic, but it, it really felt like I was, I've done a lot of personal films over the years on YouTube. I've dumped a lot of my personal life on, on social media, which is not incredibly healthy. But this felt like the most vulnerable I've ever been. And a lot of my white friends would just comment, oh, this is such a well-produced video. I like the animation. And it felt heartbreaking. But mm. at the same time, I had hundreds of comments and messages and emails. And even people would approach me on the street. Like the video didn't do like crazy it amount of numbers but the few thousand people who saw it people would they felt compelled to message me and share their experiences with me and it wasn't just mixed race kids it was a lot of british born chinese people who could relate to a lot of the stuff i discussed in the video a lot of filipinos would, would reach out to me and, and tell me that their 
behavior and how they would talk about lighter skin tones or Filipinos born abroad or mixed race Filipinos. They just had no idea it had that mm. kind of effect on, on our identity. And I even had like a few apologies from people who've said things to me in the past. And yeah, it was incredibly overwhelming to have that kind of response. But then at the same time, one of the bullies who used to tease my mum and throw rice at her car and, and, and yell abuse at her, he's now married with two kids. And he, he commented on the video telling me that I'm just attention seeking, that this is just like me trying to jump on the bandwagon of Black Lives Matter and talk about race when it never really was much of an issue. The, the video incorporated animation. And I, I had a little like devil child with little horns and spiky teeth. <laughs> it was about him. And he, over a decade later, started attacking me about it again. And mm -hmm. I thought it was crazy. I'm obviously still a bit hurt that I never got that kind of like, I mean, I, I got a few white people messaging me telling me that they, they found my story enlightening, but I didn't get that response from most English people and, and white friends, but to have that kind of just the, the sheer amount of, of Asians who reached out to me and told me that they could relate to my story was so, mm. it was just affirming as well as it made me incredibly proud to be one of the people to, like I, I had a lot of people message me saying that they thought about things or acknowledged stuff from their past, which they've never thought about before. Mm. And to, to do that for them, like it really made me wish that a video like what I produced was made back when I started YouTube to look up to. Yeah. I know exactly the video you mean because I watched it. I think I think I watched it maybe not that long after it came out. I remember seeing it when there was that rise in, in Asian hate. And I think the, the video was really lovely because it, it told the personal side to you. And but also there's a lot of tongue in cheek in that video as well. Like I is, is it the one where you'd asked people where they think you're from and did you hold yeah and you held yeah. a globe you held a globe and said to someone do you, can you point to where the philippines is on this on this globe so <laughs> there is there is tongue-in-cheek but there's also the, the the personal side to it too which i think yeah. again a lot of us can relate to and a video is on your website as well rayroberts.co so if anyone wants to check it out please do are you able to share what other exciting projects that you have yeah of course well i'm trying to focus more on producing youtube videos because my 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 day job is that as like i, I do a, i direct a lot of videos like commercial stuff which sounds really exciting and cool but it's mostly just doing like promos for for brands and stuff and there's very little creative creative stuff going on but i like from working in the film industry, I do miss the days of like just being able to pick up a camera and produce whatever I like and put it out there immediately without producers and brands and clients getting involved. So yeah, I, I, I've been trying to focus more on planning videos for my YouTube. Like I've done a number of videos about Asian food, not just Asian, but mostly Asian food where I try to focus on the culture and history behind dishes and talk to the chefs and restaurant owners. I, I want to do more of that, mm -hmm. but I also want to do more than just food. Like I, I, the last video I posted was a video where I did Wing Chun Kung Fu training for 60 days. 
and I documented the whole process and like what I learned. I want to do more things like that、mm-hmm. where I share parts of culture, but also try things. Oh, the next thing I got coming out is about me. I research about Thai massage. And talk about its health benefits and、mm-hmm. its origin, but then I also try to learn it and give Thai massages to my friends. That's the next one that's coming out. So I, I want to do more like that. I think I definitely want to do more martial arts stuff because I think people enjoy watching me getting beaten up. <laughs> um, but I, I also feel, especially with, on on YouTube, a lot of these kind of challenge videos are they're, they're very they can be very like shallow. Whereas with martial arts, as cliche as it can be within the Asian community, and、uh, there there is a lot of history with martial arts, and、mm-hmm. I don't think people focus on it as much. But I like to think people come to see me getting beaten up and taken down and kicked in the face, <laughs> but then stay for the education and the the culture. <laughs> Oh, nice! Oh, sounds like you've got some exciting projects coming along. And finally, before we go, where can people find you? People can find me on most things just by searching my name, Ray Roberts. Ray Roberts.、Uh, just give that a Google. I do share a name with a lake. There's a lake in Texas called Lake Ray Roberts that was named after a U.S. senator. Right.、Um, okay. That's not me. <laughs> It has nothing to do with me. I am not a large body of water. But you can find me on on Instagram under Ray Roberts on YouTube as Ray Roberts, and yeah, just give me a Google. Give you a Google, Ray. It's been so lovely speaking, speaking with you. When you told me that you were, you've been learning Thai massage, I felt like <laughs> I could talk about it for another twenty minutes just on that topic because I learned it. I used to be a massage therapist, and I learned Thai、oh, yoga、wow. massage as well. Yeah, we have to maybe for the next series we can talk more about it because otherwise I'm just conscious of the timing. But I think it's amazing what you were doing. I love how you. Represent the easy community fairly. You put a lot of tongue and cheek and a lot of passion into your videos as well. I, I think it's just amazing, and I'm so I'm so grateful that you've come on the show and you've shared your story because I know that from you talking about your upbringing, speaking about your mum, speaking about your dad, you are reliving your traumas. Thank yeah, you so、yeah. much, Ray, for coming on the show.